welcome to Mint and Burn, the academic analysis of blockchain and other technologies in the decentralized digital economy. I'm your host, Kelsey Nevin, and we are tuning in from the RMIT University Blockchain Innovation Hub to bring you expert guests and test frontier ideas. Today, we're joined by Mitchell Goldberg and distinguished professor Jason Potts to discuss the valuation of virtual land in the metaverse. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you for the invitation. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussion about the metaverse and our research. Great to have you here. And it's such uh, a niche but significant in so many ways area for you to be researching. So perhaps you can start by just talking us through the basic premise of this paper that you've shared on land valuation in the metaverse location matters. Yeah, sure. Um, when I started with, with my PhD, I had a discussion with my, my supervisor, Fabian, what we could do. I was very interested in, in blockchain technology. I was very interested in, in NFTs and, and video games as well. And then we sort of like, he already had this research project going where he would look at land prices in one specific virtual world. And then we decided it would be best for me for me to contribute to that to that work. And so, yeah, what we did was we um, gathered data about virtual land sales, and then we tried to figure out how to like analyze what was going on in this world. How would uh, how would our prices determined or how our like relative prices between these different kind of land parcels different and we could do that due to the like public data that was available because this one particular virtual world was built on top of a blockchain and yeah that was very exciting and then also we of course we looked at the, the literature and this was something that was or has not been done before although these virtual worlds have existed for for many years yeah, and what was interesting is that we find that in these virtual worlds, although users don't have the same like transportation costs as people in the in the physical world have, we find that location still matters in terms of, of price. So when you look at the physical world, you often see like people have to they have to go to work. And if they want to most people, they, they live near a city or in a city because they also go to work there or like other like companies, they have to look at uh, their supply chain. They want to be close to like a transportation systems and so on. And then um, you see that prices go up near city centers or near, I don't know, like the railways and so on. And we just use this information and try to, to come up with a clever, clever method to analyze that in the virtual domain as well. And we find that, yeah, although users can teleport between any location within a very sh short amount of time, that is, uh, yeah, that it does matter in terms of price. So that's a really surprising outcome. And when I first saw the result that you'd, you'd put together, I was I was genuinely just shocked by that because it's it's so counterintuitive. Like it's it's a absolute you know um, econ one hundred and one in, in economic geography or spatial economics is that transactions costs are real, right? That that you know that 
distance. Um, if I reduce the distance or the cost to perform transactions, I should get more active, you know, demand curve slope downwards, digital um, land prices and CBDs are worth more. As you move further out on the sort of von Thunen concentric circles model, you get lower prices. It's just, it's like just law of economics, right? And you can sort of see intuit, you can sort of get a sense why, you know, it's digital land and we're using the word land in both cases, but the fundamental thing that should make it different, which is I can, there is no transactions costs in me moving around in that digital land should mean that the economic prediction is therefore we shouldn't see these prices. And you know, this is what was just what was super interesting about your paper was that you found this really counterintuitive thing. So I'm going to ask you to try and just, you know, um, was that your research team's reaction when you saw that? Or I mean, how, how do you explain what's going on there? I mean, what's the economics of, of why that counterintuitive result seems to exist? Well, <laughs> interestingly, interestingly, it was not what um, um, we did not have the same reaction as you did. We more, we looked at it from from a physical world perspective and we sort of just had the intuition that it should be the same as in the physical world and we cannot explain it like clearly why it should be the same and then we had discussions with with other people and most of them had the same reaction as you did that this is not very intuitive this should should not be happening and then we looked more into it and i think that one of the key um, components of this of this result is the uh, the type of land use because in the physical world we have like lands that is used for agriculture and we have people have to live somewhere right but you don't have that in this virtual world you can buy an, a piece of land in this virtual world and build a house for for your avatar but you don't need it there's there's no demand for for residential land what you Instead, do you usually you buy a piece of land and then you try to figure out what you do with it? You maybe come up with I don't know, like a a, a game that you can present to people and that people can can play, or you start sort of advertising. You advertise I don't know, like your your own brand in some way, or or a different like a different brand, a firm, whatever. And in that sense, um, most or basically all land use in the virtual world is somehow commercially driven. And then it's not it's not about the users moving and having these transportation costs. It's more about the like the landowners trying to attract people. And then it all turns into this kind of um, attention economy where you want to attract as many people as possible so that they come to your your land parcel and you, I don't know, you sell them something or you, you show them an ad, whatever. Okay. That's, that's interesting then, because this is what, what you're arguing is that the, I mean, why we care about this is I want to know how to value digital land, right? I want to, I want to buy the right digital land and not the wrong one. I want to assemble a just massive digital land portfolio and get super rich out of this. This is, this is why we care about this, this sort of thing. But, um, what you seem to have, I mean, what you're arguing there, and correct me if I've, if I've misunderstood, is that there seem to be different economic principles governing the value creation. 
So instead of minimizing transactions costs between areas of existing value creation, what you're arguing is it's more like network effects or shelling points or just there's some sort of entrepreneurial, um, I own this land and the value of it is determined by what I can build on it, not how far away I am from the other value that's out there in the rest of the land. Is that the, is yeah, that the implication sort of. of what that means? Yeah, I think in the physical world, you have different kind of effects that are all overlapping. You have an effect for residential land where people are mostly interested in like short traveling distance to their workplace and, and back to their homes. But you also have the, these commercial effects, um, like, I don't know, a store that wants to attract as many people as possible so that they can sell them goods or, or like a bank that wants to sell their services. And in the virtual world, we actually only see these, these commercial type of effects. We don't have effects for residential land. We don't have any like supply chain considerations. All we have is, is commercial, um, yeah, commercial effects. Just so people understand the context about what you're saying, I'd love to understand more in terms of the methods and the platforms that you actually use for this research when you talk about virtual worlds. I want to make sure we're all kind of um, have the same picture in our mind in terms of where you are and what you're doing when you're doing this research and, and generating these findings. Sure. Um, we, I mean, all of that we're, we're saying here is... Uh, of course, not financial advice in any way, but we, we looked at, at one virtual world in particular, and this, um, this world is called Decentraland. And Decentraland is like, it tries to like offer people a virtual world that is similar to like some people may know Second Life from, from the early 2000s. Um, but the whole architecture is built in a, in a, more or less decentralized way. So what that means is that you have, you can think of these virtual worlds as like, like a, or the architecture of these virtual worlds as layers, you have like three layers. And at the very bottom, you have an ownership le um, layer. You need to like determine who is the owner of which land parcel. Then on top of that, you have the content layer if you want to deploy content, like, I don't know, you, you build a house on top of your parcel, you need to store that content somewhere. And then at the top, the third layer is the visualization of it all. So and what Decentraland does is like the, the bottom layer is um, basically it's a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain where you, yeah, every land parcel is uh, an NFT. And these land parcels, they, they only vary in their, in their locations. So what you see is you have like an X coordinate and a Y coordinate, and all of these parcels are um, in some way unique because they have a unique pair of these coordinates, but the parcels themselves, they have the same size. You can build the exact same things on top of them. There are no considerations in terms of like, I don't know, climate and, and like zoning restrictions and so on. And that, yeah, also, because, that also means yeah. that there's no externalities. It doesn't matter. I mean, in theory, it shouldn't matter what's built next to you for that reason, which is the thing that 
that just um, confuses my little economic brain because I, it, it shouldn't I, exist. <laughs> I, I think that it's all about externalities, actually. But it's, it's all about the positive externalities. So what you, what you want if you buy land in a virtual world is that your neighbor attracts a lot of people. And if your neighbor attracts a lot of people, you, there may be spillover effects and some people may come to your parcel and then you can, I don't know, show off your, your NFT art or you can like sell them some goods and services and so on. So it's, it's all about these positive externalities. But at the same time, you don't have a lot of the negative externalities that we have or, or see in, in the physical world. So one of like, like one specific result that we, that we saw um, yeah, <laughs> was that some dis there are districts in, in the central end, you could like propose that you want to, I don't know, focus on the fashion world and you want to attract the biggest brands in fashion to the central end. And then some land was like allocated to, to this purpose before the world was actually, um, like uh, launched and we look at how these districts have an effect on the on the parcels that are next to them like right next to them and we see that there's a very large effect for districts like vega city which which focuses on gambling and we see that also there's a district called the red light district that this has a like very large effect on on parcel prices which is also once again it's not that intuitive when you look at it from a physical world perspective because i think most people would not like to live or have a store right next to the red light district because you may be afraid that there is i don't know like noise at night or because they're i don't know you you may be more like criminal um, people around at night and so on. You, you may like uh, fear for your safety and all of these things, they don't, they don't happen in the same sense in this virtual world, right? You don't, you don't see a lot of, lot of trash on your, on your own land parcel on, I don't know, like a Monday morning because people were partying in the red light district. You just, your parcel, you control what happens on your parcel or what can happen on your parcel. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm becoming persuaded by your explanation here. So this is um, the great um, economist Alfred Marshall. One of the ideas that he came up with was this idea of you know, business districts as a key as a key explanation in terms of externalities. And um, what you're observing here is the the spontaneous evolution of these Marshallian business districts, where they where the you want to locate next to another um, you know, sort of virtual business that has the same sort of themes as, as you're doing, just simply because um, it's all positive externalities. There's no yeah, a world essentially without negative externalities, which, okay, so now if that's the case, then the economics of this predicts that we should get um, runaway selection. We should start to see extreme agglomeration taking place if, there's no, if, if basically there's no externalities slowing it down. Or, or um, you know, so is I mean, that that then forms a prediction. I'm guessing that what we should expect to see is a kind of um, you know, segregation of of 
any sort of virtual land into um, arbitrary, but but once they form business districts that should that should reinforce, and they'll be very very hard to break after that. Um, which would then mean that if you're in the middle of that, and this is you know if you're in the gambling business or if you're in the whatever other sort of you know services you you want to locate in that. Um, the prediction then is that we should start to see extreme specialization and therefore value creation in that land or value value capture in the rents of, of that land. Um, is, is that is, is that what we're yeah, I, what you're what you predict or I, I think that's what I would predict, but it's not what we what we currently see. Because um like in our paper we focus specifically on on the the initial land sale, like the first time when these land parcels were were sold to whoever was willing to pay um, at least a hundred US dollars for a piece of land in this virtual world. And now in the secondary market, like today, um, these land parcels, they trade for much more than a hundred US dollars, but the activity within within the virtual world is not as high as these these prices would would suggest. And what you see is that there are these 90,000 land parcels and maybe, I don't know, it's just a guess of mine. You have like two or 300 of those that, that attract a lot of people. And I think these could like develop into big, bigger business districts, but at the time they just, it's just a few spaces that attract a lot of people. And, and that's also, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, do you think that what we're this is what, what you've been observing and studying is just something that's very early, and but, but the equilibrium is starting to form, or is this is this sort of a disequilibrium phenomena? Um, like, I mean, is this is why hasn't it gone immediately to the to the you know predicted equilibrium that you would you would see if if it was just pure powerful massive feedback positive externalities. Um, in in the in a in this sort of model of of land value, yeah, that's digital land I, value. I think it's all about the the activity. I think the the virtual world is is very large, and at first we there were like forty five thousand land parcels that were offered like to to the people you could you could buy them. And roughly like 9,000 of them were not sold at all. They did not receive the, the minimum price. Um, but there were some parcels that received a, a price of about 50,000 US dollars at the time, which was like you could, <laughs> you could easily buy, let's say, another 500 of these parcels for the minimum price. But instead, this, this one person decided that this one parcel was... Yeah, worth fifty thousand US dollars, and, and that was those. So, just reading straight from the findings in the paper, that was those of particular importance to business applications, specifically easily memorable address-like features such as city center, main street, plaza, etc. Yeah, I think that was that was one parcel that was very close to the city center. The city center is important, as in if if you log into this virtual world. The, the normal way you go to their website, you usually like spawn your, your your avatar appears at the city center. And then from there, you start your, your journey through this virtual world. So this is one of the parcels that you will see or like go to when you start your journey. 
right? Mm -hmm. So that's why why this person probably was willing to to pay fifty thousand US dollars for it. But then you can you can easily teleport to any other place. And nowadays, what you see is people they they, they spawn at the city center, and then they have this this billboard in front of them where they see these are the most active places right now. Do you want to jump to one of them? And so you see that these, these parcels that did not receive uh, very high winning bids in the initial auction, that they, like, for example, you, you have a, a parcel where Samsung bought, um, like has a, uh, an office in, in this virtual world where they, they I don't know, they do some advertising and they, they have events there and they attract a lot of people. And I think these sort of um, these big firms that come to, to this virtual world, for example, Samsung and, and others, they may attract a lot of people and then once again have an, an effect on, on the surrounding land as well. So I think the initial results that we got, they, they are interesting as they show that location does matter. but it they may change like numerically or they may change uh, locally because big firms may have such a big influence on on the surrounding land as well yeah so interesting i'm interested in in what the consequences of this uh could be if we just kind of um uh, kind of look look ahead or, or sort of make predictions or draw more findings out of the paper here. But how does this finding map to other digital spaces or physical spaces? And Jason, I'm specifically thinking about um, digital cities and some of the kind of thinking about how you make physical cities digital and then what that means. Um. <laughs> We did not look at, at digital cities, but we saw that there are a lot of um, like overlapping effects or, or things that you see in the physical world or also in the, in the virtual domain. For example, um, as we just talked about, that um, some landmarks, for example, the city center had an effect on, on the virtual land prices. And the other thing that you, that you mentioned were these memorable addresses. And this is also, this is a finding that we, that you probably would not see in the physical world, but we found in this particular virtual world, which was that all parcels on, on the diagonal from, from the south west of the city to the northeast, they had like a significant, like positive price effect. And these parcels, they correspond to, to, to the parcels that have addresses with equal X and Y coordinates, for example, a parcel with one, uh, coordinates 100, 100, or 50, 50, whatever. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If, if you want to teleport within this world, you need these coordinates. And it's easy for you to um, like represent your brand and say, meet us in Decentraland at 100, 100 people can easily memorize that and, and go back there. But it's it's probably more difficult if you want to say, um, yeah, meet us at 127 minus 53 or something like that. And I think this is, this is very similar to domains uh, on the internet. I think 
it's it's very mm. simple to just say like go to i don't know google.com instead of like a very very long name that no one can remember that's interesting yeah. because and, that's the yeah. sort of shelling point idea or you know this is information efficiency as opposed to transactions cost efficiency so you know lots of physical cities um the cbds are based around you know ports or or, or railroad junctions or just just places where people would naturally meet and i you know and then there's the sort of shelling point implication that if we're going to meet i need to know that you know where that thing will be the shelling point equilibria here is 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 very interesting because it's what it's doing is it's economizing on information costs of search and navigation and just you know um from the perspective of um you know that it's algorithmically efficient or easy to find as opposed to physically striking or you know the the, the tallest tower or the you know the the, the the junction of two waterways or whatever um we've now got an inf- a pure information or algorithmic version of that just search cost minimization um as a, as the sort of as the organizing principle of geography which is interesting because it's still a fundamental economic principle um you're minimizing search costs it's still a cost that's driving it but it's it's actually got nothing to do with physical movement it's purely um you know cognitive and search which is which is interesting yeah yeah exactly and so does any of this map to other findings around um nfts and nft valuations as well so I mean, we talk a lot about these as composable infrastructures and the stage that we're really at in kind of the broader Web3 ecosystem is very early. So you have like, you know, a virtual world and then an NFT over here and then a DAO over here and then a DeFi protocol. And we're starting to see these compose in terms of... um, uh, we had a conversation with my colleague Darcy Allen on on a previous episode around kind of DAO toolkits and how these composable modules being invented and then coming together create new possibilities. So I'm really interested in well, if you have virtual land and kind of um, NFTs, as you said, that enable kind of ownership or access to certain parcels, what are the other kind of possibilities here around what people can create and how the business applications of those actually drive the valuation. Yeah, I've I've not really looked looked into that, but I think there are a lot of possibilities in terms of composability. Um, especially when you think about that this, this NFT that gives you the the like the ownership to a specific land parcel in a virtual world. You can think of it um, in a similar way as in the physical world. This is an, an asset that, that you would like to, I don't know, either you use it and then monetize because from, from the usage or you try to rent it out. Like you, you want to give access to someone else and they, they pay, like they regularly pay you for, for the possibility to use that land. And I think there are um, some protocols that are being developed where you can sort of rent out your your virtual land parcel and receive a regular payment instead and someone else is able to use it. And then um, I think currently in, in DeFi, you have a lot of um, like protocols that focus a lot on, on fungible tokens, but in the future, I think most of them 
will have some form or, or try to implement a, a version where they also accept NFTs in some way. So when you think about um, um, lending and, and borrowing protocols, they, they may accept your virtual land as, as collateral and then you take out a loan for um, yeah in in return for that collateral i think there are the possibilities there they are endless i'm i'm really looking forward to to seeing what what the future holds so, so much i've got another question that that I've, I've been very interested in in this um about 20 years ago there was an economist i think it was um someone edward castronova i believe it was did some first did the very first work on the economics of of second life and one of the you know, incredible things that he found the reason he got so much attention for that for his initial research was he discovered that the wage rate in virtu- in in second life was higher than a whole bunch of countries like these were you know relatively poor countries but it was he just indicated that the this you know the the economy of second life you know way back in the year 2020 um, you know 2020, I mean, 2002 or something like that was, you know, number 86 on on the global rankings of of, of, of countries, and that was just an amazing idea for people. It just blew everyone's mind that 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 the wages in this digital place were higher than they were in a bunch of country in a bunch of actual countries, and I think the same question sort of arises here again, but instead of wages, it's actually land values, and so um, you know, I I don't know where. Decentraland sits on the OECD you know, rankings of you know it, exactly where it is. Presumably, it's somewhere down near the bottom. It, it might be near sort of you know, um, Tuvalu or something like that in terms of its its total t- total value. But the interesting question is how how where could it get to, and are we likely to see? Is this likely to play out that there'll just be one? It'll just be Decentraland, and that's the only ever digital land we will ever have. And it's these are natural monopolies. Or are these things going to be highly competitive, and there'll be you know tens, then hundreds, then thousands of, of of digital land, and you know with the with the obvious implication for scarcity in land prices, because in one of those stories, if it's just decentralized land and that's all there is, and it's you know um, then then that fifty thousand dollars could be the cheapest bit of digital land that's ever been you know it, it'll it, you know we will look back upon those days of imagine buying it for just that price, or it could go the other way. I mean, what's What's your sense of, you know, I'm just asking you to speculate here, but what's your sense yeah, of which way this goes? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question for, for two reasons, I think. Um, the first one is this, this sort of digital scarcity that you talked about. Like land within Decentraland is in a sense scarce because the smart contract defines how many land parcels there are. And there's no function to to increase the number of land parcels. So you know that there will only be these 90,601 land parcels at a time. But uh, I talked about the, the the technological architecture before these these different these different layers. And what really matters for for the users is the visualization of of these land parcels and what's on top of them, right? So it's it's entirely possible to develop a new like a new client that people can use for like to access Decentraland or another virtual world where you say we have these land parcels that Decentraland like used, but we extend the land on I don't know in the east by another ninety thousand six hundred and one land parcels. So you don't have this scarcity anymore. 
And then it, I think it comes down to what, what is like the dominant clients that people will use. Will, will people just say, well, you just, I don't know, you created new land out of, out of nothing. We don't want that in the central and we, we will not use that client. Or will they, I don't know, will they say, that's an interesting thing. We want to use that client instead. And that's just this one virtual world, right? There, there are others. And others may not even have these these smart contracts where you have this day, a limit on the number of of parcels, so they they can sort of create more land as as they yeah yeah they they, they can create more land um, in a sense. And I think one very very interesting. Um, Thing that that we we thought about was that land in itself does not have to be scarce anyway in in this virtual world. Um, you can think of like when you think about the central land and you have a parcel that is sixteen by sixteen meters large. You could have like a portal on your on your piece of land when people click on it they sort of teleport outside of the virtual world and onto your own server where you host the central land in your own way and you just have 90,600 land parcels to yourself and you use them in any way you want. So it's <laughs> that way land is probably no matter how you, how you like uh, develop these, these smart contracts and how you, how you try to limit the, the, the number of land parcels and then try to make it scarce. I think it's it's very difficult to do that, but there may. But that's be some a fascinating consent. idea. Yeah. That's a fascinating idea because what you just described was reinventing land as a highway system, where it's basically a bridge or a, a direct route to whatever you want to develop somewhere else. And you know that's a completely consistent use of the idea of land as a. It's 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 not so much the um, you know a physical thing upon which you build it's a when you get to here it's very easy to get to somewhere else that's a you know that's a that's transport networks that exactly exactly yeah i th i think in a sense that we may see that the, the metaverse develops into just a very immersive version of the world wide web and then in a sense, you have these connections between, instead of connections between different uh, websites or, or platforms that we know nowadays, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wormholes that, um, yeah, from one place to another that you can, that you can use. And I think that's, that's fascinating, but it will be. But that is an interesting yeah. idea because that's how, that's how, you know, urban subway systems work. If you think about all of the, you go into a subway at a point, you go down, you, everything goes dark for a while, you surface somewhere else. And, you know, all of the world's big cities, you can think of them as just these little connected portals between all of the subway entrances and all of the land and value, you know, the real estate around those, um, you know, train stations or subways or airports. Um, that's the sort of valuable stuff. And what you've just described then, I think is a really interesting idea of rethinking digital geography as not so much land upon which you then build, but it's just naturally a series of interconnected portals. And the, you know, which is what you just, was what you, your starting point was, it's, it's just positive externalities, right? It's just, it, you, it's just valuable because it takes you somewhere else or it's, it's connected to other things. 
and that that new understanding of digital economic geography is just um you know it's it's digital which means it's communication if a low cost communication but it's that there's a geography it takes you somewhere specific and the the relative value of that um is 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 tied up with where it takes you and what it's connected to which is um, you know, again, that's the essence of network economics as well. So this is incredibly interesting research. I'm absolutely fascinated by all this. I have one other question, though. Um, so one of the sort of interesting things about economic geography is taxation um, and the way in which you, how taxation variously distorts or doesn't. And um, amongst economists, most economists love land taxes because they're efficient, they're non-distortionary. And... Um, so the first question is, have you, has you and your team given any thought to the implications of how you tax? How, how do you, how do you fund public goods in, in, in a, in a, in a sort of digital geography? Um, or is it even possible? Because if I can just build another one, if I can just fork this system, I, I you know, any tax you impose, I can immediately avoid um, on, on that system like this is I think this is sort of another question that we're seeing in a lot of other in a lot of crypto projects that we're seeing is this question of how do you fund public goods and what what the mechanism by which by which that that actually is and um, I'm just curious about whether the, whether there's any connection between that you know public finance funding of public goods taxation and the digital geography research that you've been doing yeah, um, we've not really looked at, at taxation specifically, but I think it's a very interesting thought. Um, for for Decentraland, um, it's the, the funding of public goods was actually something that they sort of more or less did before they actually launched. They they did an ICO back I think in two thousand seventeen where they they sold their their own token. Um, for I don't know, like the equivalent of, of US dollars or something, and and now they have a, a large treasury of of these tokens that they still hold, uh, some of them that they still hold, and they can just like sort of liquidate them for for money if they if they need, and that this this treasure chest is um, is quite quite large at the at the moment, especially since the the token price has increased um, after. Um, the, the meta announcement last, I think it was last fall when they, like Mark Zuckerberg said that they will um, dedicate a lot of resources to the development of, of the metaverse or their metaverse, um, whatever it is. Um, yeah. But I think it is, it is an interesting topic in, in, in a lot of other areas in the virtual world. Um, not necessarily just just land parcels, but instead um, when you create, for example, clothing for avatars and you sell them on a marketplace, then usually these marketplaces, they take a small fee when you, when you sell them. And uh, we just recently had the, the news that, for example, I think Meta wants to take roughly a 50% cut whenever you sell these uh, virtual like assets to to someone else and yeah other platforms they, they take a smaller cut and i think one of the biggest problems or one of the, the most interesting things that we should look at is more if these virtual worlds are, are built on or decentralized architecture or a centralized one 
because if they're built on a centralized one, then you have an operator that is very, very powerful in terms of the whole economy that is built on top of, of their architecture. So when you think about, for example, Meta that said that they will spend tens of billions of US dollars to uh, for the development of the metaverse, and they probably expect or, or they predict that there will be a small economy built on top of their of their platform, right? And then you usually talk about it as the holdup problem that you have like what investors that question themselves, like, should I invest in this virtual world? Should I buy lands there? Should I I don't know, invest in developers that create a beautiful scene or or like clothing that we can sell if um, we have just this one um, entity that can change the rules of the world, that can like change the, the taxes, as you said, and so on. And yeah, I think this is a this is a very interesting topic and and one that will be relevant in the future. Yeah, so no, I'm glad I, you I, mentioned I think that. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually have a, a working paper that's out on exactly that thing. And it looks at how crypto states are competing with corporates and these kind of two visions of um, infrastructure, the centralized and then the kind of decentralized and, and how um, this uh, competition kind of comes down to the hardware layer uh, in terms of determining that. And I think really at the crux of that discussion and to your prior provocation there, Jason, a couple of questions ago, uh, it's it's all these other dynamics. Like when I think about future research directions, it's like, well, what does it mean for labor? So if, you, if the metaverse or these virtual worlds that combine sort of digital and physical behaviors are decentralized and collectively governed, like what does that then mean for kind of the play to earn games and, you know, the assets within these games and reputation within these games and, um, like you said, purchases in these games and and all these kinds of things um, versus the more kind of closed loop, you know, it's all meta, which is the, you know, Facebook vision of what this looks like and they kind of take the clip. So I think that's um, quite an important question. But are there uh, further research directions or um, other dynamics that you're investigating this question from for the moment? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, what we just talked about, I think this is this is something that is very interesting for us because we, we like doing research in, yeah, um, the space of public blockchains and smart contracts and so on. And uh, there are certain risks that you can mitigate um, through these technologies, uh, as you just said. I think this is this is something that we will will look into. But also, I mean, the beauty of all of these virtual worlds is that there is a lot of data out there, and especially the ones that are built on, on a public blockchain where you have access to this data. Um, makes it possible to analyze all sorts of things, right? So, for example, you could look at virtual apparel that is being sold in these virtual worlds today and sort of, like, estimate what is, I don't know, like the, the output of this digital economy that is built on top of these of these platforms. And I think that's, that's also very interesting. And then um, from there 
go more into the, the policy relevant um, things, as you said, taxation and so on. Um, I think we just need to get a, an understanding first what these economies look like. And then from there, you can think about um, taxation and, and other things. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about what you were just arguing before with, I mean, here at Blockchain Innovation Hub, we're huge fans of of Oliver Williamson and Oliver Hart and, and the whole sort of institutional way of, of focusing on this. And your argument that one of the huge benefits of a decentralized protocol is that it avoids the holdup problem, um, that it's I'm, I'm less I'm which which therefore means I'm more likely to invest in specific assets um, knowing that I'm not going to be exploited or that I'm um, in, it, it, as I would potentially be in a in a in a more centralized um, um, system. What other sort of business model differences do you see there? So, I mean, I think that's that's a really interesting sort of just investment and innovation distinction that we should expect to see more um, more specific investment in in in, um, in the types of assets that we can build in this space in a decentralized um, virtual land as opposed to a sort of more centralized one. Um, what other things, I mean, what other research, or, or what other sort of implications actually follow from that, that that you see in there? I think one thing that I would like even predict at, at, at this stage is that we have these decentralized virtual worlds, but the technology behind it is much more um, complicated. It's, it's, it's very difficult like when you log into the central end, I think most people will not be blown away by, by what they see, right? And I think a centralized system, for example, what, what Meta has in mind, I think this will probably look fantastic to, to people and they will, they, they will love it. And at the same time, you have a company that already has millions or billions of users um, around the world. And when they like finally launch their version of the metaverse, I think they will attract a lot of users, which once again um, is important in terms of what we, we talked at the beginning, this attention economy, right? So if you have a large user base and you have a lot of people that you can bring to this platform, it will be very um, interesting for, for big brands and, and firms to um, establish a presence in this um, in this particular virtual world, and then I'm I'm sort of torn between what yeah what what will happen because <laughs> you have this big user base, but at the same time these these companies ha have actually this this holdup problem, and I'm I'm not sure that they understand that they have this holdup problem, and yeah we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, so fascinating. Uh, thank you so much, Mitchell Goldberg, for joining us for this episode of Minton Burn. And thank you, Professor Jason Potts, as well. And to our audience of listeners, you can check out the show notes, including a link to the paper that we've been discussing, and get in touch at rmitblockchain.io.